0: We're juxtaposing uh, opposites this morning, thinking about the delivery of the green baby, and we're happy, and prayers have been answered, and mother and little baby boy are safe. And and if you know from your calendar and, and history in the church, this is also Pro-Life Sunday. And And Pro-Life Sunday means in no small respect that we're actually talking about death. So we're juxtaposing life and death this morning, the reception of new life. We're thrilled, we're glad. And we're also going to be talking about death. 42 years ago on January 22nd of this year from 1973, the United States Supreme Court ruled in Roe v. Wade essentially that the unborn child in the womb had no legal right to exist. There were some restrictions. Most of those have gone the way of the dinosaur over the years. There's very few restrictions left, uh, the justices, whatever you thought of their decision, of course, it's history, it's settled, it's been the law of the land. Uh, uh, the unborn does not have the right to life. So, this morning we are talking about abortion and suicide, euthanasia assisted suicide. So, can you feel the pall settle? It's serious stuff. These, frankly, are things I'd rather not talk about. Uh, you know, even in preparing for this, I. I, at some quiet level, I dread teaching on this, frankly, uh, on death and things that are inherently challenging, depressing. They affect all of us in a variety of ways. Uh, This is the deal, though, at the end of the day. If the church doesn't speak to this, who will? And if we who know the Lord of life, if we're not addressing the issue of death in our day, what will we say when we stand before Christ and give account? So much as I'd love to avoid this topic in toto, it's still something that we, in the church, who believe in life, still need to address, talk about, and think through. My hope for this morning is this, that this message is appropriately sobering on one hand. I hope that it's motivating, which is to say... If we realize there are things we need to quit doing or there are things we need to start doing, I hope that we have adequate motivation from this morning for that. And then also sort of my big push this morning is that we are able to frame the topics of death in whatever way we're thinking about death. This could be numerous ways, not just abortion or assisted suicide, but that we're framing them largely and biblically, and we see how all of these things end up coming to grips with the gospel and the claims of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, there's kind of a joke that if you're in children's Sunday school class, whatever the teacher uh, asks, whatever question is asked, the answer is always Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, there's some merit in that, isn't, isn't there? We, we get why we say that. Well... There's another way in which no matter what challenges you're talking about in life on this earth, uh, the person and work of Jesus have something to say, they bear on everything that goes on on this planet. Everything comes back to Christ. Everything comes back to the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. You can't get away from that. So we want to frame the discussion of the element of death going on in our time, in our culture, in the context of the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, which is to say, how does the gospel speak to these elements of death in our time, in our culture? If you hear something this morning that makes you aware you need to confess and repent, I hope you will. Uh, There's something convicting probably here for all of us. If you're someone, you have a past in this arena, If you have confessed that to the Lord and you've been forgiven, please don't hear anything I'm saying. Please don't think the church is piling any guilt on you. At the end of the day, the gospel says, whatever our sins are, Christ has atoned for them on the cross. So when we talk about death this morning, if you have any history there and you're tempted to feel condemned, please don't. If you're forgiven, you're forgiven the same way everyone else in here and anyone at any time on the planet has been by the blood of Christ on the cross. So please don't feel anybody's piling on. If you're forgiven, you're forgiven. We're not bringing up old wounds here. That's not the attempt. Last, just before we get into this, there are so many elements to these issues. We cannot address them all. And really, I'm wanting to talk about death, the way it's taking place now, and then how does the gospel speak to that? That's our focus for this morning. Lots of things that we won't be able to address. So I hope you have a study sheet. Uh, The Jane Roe in that 1973 ruling was Norma McCorvey. And actually, this case started in 1969 in Texas, and Norma was pregnant with her third child, and and she didn't want the child, and so she sought an abortion, and she couldn't get one. So the litigation started, and of course, it was 1973 before this was settled. So interestingly... Norma McCorvey delivered safely a little baby girl from that pregnancy that bears her name. That child grew and was born and was adopted, and as far as we know, is alive today. I find that interesting. That's neat, neat story. You know, unfortunately, that's not the case for millions and millions of other unborn children. Your study sheet has some of these numbers And there's all kinds of resources online that you can check numbers uh, in all kinds of of, uh, frameworks and timetables, et cetera. These, These were just recent ones, just something to give us an idea of the numbers we're currently talking about here in the United States. 2011 was the last year I could find statistics for. And in 2011, we killed about a million unborn children on record here in the United States, you can see we're going back in time on these numbers. Two thousand eight was about one point two million abortions. Two thousand two, going back six years, about one point three. Go all the way back to nineteen ninety-six, it's almost one point four million abortions on record that year. So what we see is is the the number of abortions per year seem to be decreasing, and, and we say, man, that's a great thing. There's a caveat on this also, though, and it's this, that especially in the last several years, there are what are called morning after pills. There are abortifacients that women can take in the early period of pregnancy, which never get reported as abortion. So the truth is, we don't know what the abortion rate is today because of pharmaceutical options that didn't exist before. Total abortions may be going down or they may not. Only God knows at the end of the day. I looked for figures, statistics on the sales of these drugs online and could not find that. About, this is current, about 21% of all pregnancies in the United States, excluding miscarriages, spontaneous abortions where the mother miscarries, miscarries, about 21% end in abortion currently. Uh, Here, close to home, Kansas ranks 27th in the nation in the number of abortions done annually. You know, with our history, we've been well-known for a provider of late-term abortions historically. uh, 7,000 abortions in Kansas in 2011, about half of those are from women who live out of state. They come to Kansas for their abortion. Since Roe, uh, approximately 58 million abortions in the United States. And that again, that's equivalent to almost one out of every five Americans that are alive today. So numbers are a challenge. These numbers are so big, you just, you lose yourself in them. But if you went through this room and you count every fifth person and say you're dead, that's what you're talking about with the rate of abortion in this country. When you hear debates on abortion, a lot has to do with the rights of the mother, uh, philosophies uh, of who has charge over my body, who, who has the right to make decisions. But economics are a huge issue with abortion as well. You can imagine uh, in the U.S., we are paying per year about a billion dollars to kill unborn children. So abortion's at least a billion dollar a year industry. Now, we would be naive to think that all these abortion providers are in it because they love women. There's a lot of money to be made here, a billion dollars a year on abortions. In contrast to that, and this is just for a contrast, just to say so we're spending a billion a year to kill unborn children, the U.S. government alone, just the U.S. government, not private foundations, not other international groups, not other countries – The U S government alone spends 5 billion a year on cancer research to save the lives of about 8 million people who die a year by cancer. So juxtapose those. So we'll spend 5 billion a year in order to save 8 million people per year. And we'll throw in a billion a year to kill a million children a year. So, This ends up, you say, who defines the value of a life? I mean, in this time and place, the value of a life is an economic and a political decision. In our culture, the value of a life is not determined by the life. It's determined by the people who say you have value or you don't. And we base that on economics, politics, and and personal convenience as well, obviously. Uh, Pursuing the depressing state of things here, okay? When we talk about this, we usually talk about it in terms of the United States because it's where we live. It's our backyard, and that's appropriate. But this is not a problem endemic only to our backyard in the United States. This is a human problem. Death is an equal opportunity employer, and, guys, it is rife across the globe the World Health Organization estimates 40 to 50 million abortions worldwide every year. 40 to 50 million worldwide. Again, con- think of that with cancer. About 8 million people a year die that we'd love to keep alive because we're paying for the research, but at the same time we're killing 40 to 50 million Uh, I'm using China, not picking on China, by the way. Some of this data, it's it's what data is available, right? I'm I'm not picking on China when I share this. Abortion has been a state policy for China for decades as population control. Everyone knows probably they have had a one-child policy for a long, long time. Because it's a communist government, the data on this is hard to collect. But the guesstimate is that in the last 40 years, 336 million Chinese babies have been killed in abortion. Now, China's the biggest country in the world today by population. It's about 1.3 billion. That's one-fourth of the current Chinese population. Since 1980, total abortions worldwide are estimated at 1.3 billion unborn children killed, intentionally killed. So that's almost 20% of the world population today you guys probably heard this, the king of communism, Joseph Stalin, is reputed to be the origin of this quote, a single death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. You know, and that's the danger when you talk about this. Guys, seriously, mentally or emotionally, how do you get your mind or your arms around a billion children killed intentionally? I can't get there. You know, to God, every one of these is an individual created in the image of God with intrinsic worth and integrity, someone that we would want to help. But we've killed that many children, pretty good guesstimate, in the last 40 years or so. Switching gears but staying on the topic of death, We live in a death-loving world, guys. That's where this comes from, one way or another. We'll get there in a minute. Brittany Maynard. Has everyone here heard of Brittany Maynard last year? Would have been hard not to. So Brittany became the face of assisted suicide last year. And, you know, if you saw the pictures, if you read the blogs, whatever, this is a young woman, 29 years old, attractive, vivacious-looking young woman, and she told the world, I've got cancer, and I know I'm going to die, and she'd had a Surgery, brain cancer, uh, glioblastoma. She'd had a surgery. They'd taken the cancer out. It came back with a vengeance. She was having seizures, one thing and another. And she's told by her physicians, this is what your life to the point of death is going to look like. And so she blogged to the world. This is my life. I don't like it. Uh, I'm going to choose to go out my own way at my own hand in my own time, November 1st, 2014. I'm going to end my life. And so she finished her bucket list. She tried, did some travel, saw the Grand Canyon, some other things. She moved to the state of Oregon in which assisted suicide is legal. And she ended her life on November 1st, the evening of November 1st. We, we would be heartless for sure. I'm using her because she was in the news and her face is out there and people are talking about this issue related to Brittany. I am not heartless towards Brittany. Who wouldn't be sympathetic towards anyone in this situation? You're dying, and it's going to be really hard, and there's not much you can do about it. So please don't misunderstand. I'm empathetic, I'm sympathetic, and we should be too. But as we think about this, death by our own hand, This is where there's all kinds of elements again here that we're not touching on. But a key element here for me, and again, this ends up at the gospel, is who gives you and I the authority and the right to end our own life? See, for me, at some level, suicide, assisted or otherwise, is an issue of authority By what right do I end my own life? This raises the question, of course, uh, to whom do I owe allegiance? Is there anyone greater than me? Is there anyone above me to whom I must answer? Suicide begs the question, who owns us and to whom will I answer? So, If I'm an atheist, I say, essentially, uh, there's no God. And so I'm the God of my own life. So I am free morally and otherwise to choose how I go out and when, because I don't answer to someone higher. I am my own God. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. Now, if I'm thoughtful, I might be considerate of others as to when and how I end my life, as I assume she was, but it's not because I give account to them if I'm an atheist. I give account to myself. I'm only accountable at the end of the day to myself. But if there's a God, and there is, and if I owe him my living and my dying, and I do, then suicide is a sin because it denies God his rights and his authority over my life. That's where I land on suicide, whatever stripe you color it. The scripture's clear on this. Job 33:4 4 says, The Spirit of God made me the breath of the Almighty has given me life. So someone says, Mike, uh, why do I, uh, God, why do I owe God anything? Well, I say, well, for starters, because you came from God. The breath you draw, the life you have is a gift from God. Scripture says, not just here, elsewhere also. But also this, to whom am I accountable? Well, when I die, is there anyone that I'm accountable to? And Ecclesiastes 12.7 says that the body will return to the dust from where it came, but the spirit will return to God who gave it. I came from God. I return to God. Not only that, but I will give account to God. This is the bottom line. To whom am I responsible for my life? Who will I give account? I will give account to God. And specifically, I'll give account to God in the person of God, the Son, Jesus Christ. If I'm a believer, if Jesus sends a tone for me, if I've believed in Jesus and his atoning work is applied to my sins, then I will be judged by Christ at what's called the Bema seed or the judgment seed of Christ. You've got verses that we won't go into this morning on your study sheet. And at that judgment, it's not about my eternal life or death. It's about my reward. Jesus says, I'm going to essentially light a fire under your life. We'll see what, what lasts and I'll reward you. There's that judgment for believers. But there's what's called the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20 for those who have refused God's offer of redemption and forgiveness and life through his son. So however you frame this, we've come from God, we return to God, and God sits in judgment on our life. Suicide is not an option. It's not an appropriate option. God hasn't... Given that authority, he exercises over me to end my own life. Suicide is my saying to God, not thy will be done, but mine. It's inherently sinful. It's deficient because it misses the mark of choosing to honor God in my living and in my dying. I'll bet there's a lot of you in here who have been by the bedside of someone who has died. And aren't those rich, rewarding times and moments to interact with them and interact with the family around them? And you don't know when they're going to go, and that's part of the mystery, but we consign that to God. But we disrupt that and we say to God, my will be done when we choose to end our own life. So death is normal in our life. Death is is normal, the experience of death, our choice of death. So the question becomes, how do we get here? Why in a culture and a time in which we, on one hand, would say, man, we love life, how can we love death so much that there's so much of it around at our own hand? Not just incidental, not accidental, not just wars. Why is there so much death around if, in fact, we love life? This leads us to the gospel. In Acts 3, in the early church, Uh, Jesus had resurrected, the Holy Spirit had come in Acts chapter 2, empowered the fledgling church, and in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking up the steps to the temple there in Jerusalem. They're going to church, and as they do, they see a guy who's being carried up. He's lame. He's been lame a long time. And he's being set there because he'll beg alms, charity, from those religious people who are probably likely to give him a handout. And so he looks at Peter, their eyes connect and he says, I don't have silver. I don't have, I don't have any money to give you, but I have something else. And he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. The guy not only gets up and walk, he's dancing around. Now he's been a fixture at the temple when this guy's dancing around, you better bet it makes a scene and everybody sees him and they know and they look at Peter like he is a miracle worker. And on one hand he is, but he says, guys, it's not me. This is through Jesus of Nazareth. And as he's talking to them, he says, starting at verse 13, and I'm reading here from the NASB, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Now, this is the key. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer, that's Barabbas, to be granted to you, and you put to death the prince of life. Why is there so much death in the world? Because 2,000 years ago, we asked for murder, and we got it. 2,000 years ago, represented by both God's covenant people, Israel, the Gentiles, which is most of us, represented by the Romans, we put to death, Peter says, the Prince of Life. Why do we live in a death-loving culture? Because we've rejected the Prince of Life. Now, that term gets translated a number of different ways. Uh, NASB says, you put to death the Prince of Life, as does King James. You killed the Prince of Life. The Holman says, you killed the source of life. The ESV says, you killed the author of life uh, the greek term there being translated variously as archigos chief leader prince author originator which used three other times in the new testament leader ruler captain founder so <clears throat> peter says we live in the world that put to death the prince the source the author the leader the chief the originator and the captain of life That's the world we live in. That's the culture we live in. We live in a world that rejected life in the person of the prince of life. The world examined the author of life and found him wanting and so hateful that we crucified him. We killed the prince of life. We murdered the Lord of life. And again, put all this in perspective. This is the umbrella under which we need to understand things like abortion or suicide. Jesus was and is God himself, creator of all and all life, and we said we prefer death. Jesus was absolutely holy, absolutely all and everything he should have been, and we said, we find you wanting. You're not what we want. Jesus was absolutely innocent. He never sinned. He never fell short morally, ethically, omission or commission, and we declared him deficient. With this as the overarching rule of earth, is it any wonder that lives of any sort, any stripe are not sacred? You see how this goes? If we, the race of humanity, if we put to death the author, the source, the prince, the captain of life, what life is in and of itself safe On this planet, friends, no one is safe. The essence, the epitome of life itself, we crucified. Therefore, no life is inherently safe on this planet. That's why there's so much death. The human race said, we'll take a murderer and we got murder and we've got death because we put to death the prince of life. Life and death are arbitrary now. There's no way, there's no fixed standard of value. If the epitome of life itself has been rejected, there's no fixed standard to assign value to your life or mine, to the born or to the unborn. There's no standard left. It's a fickle choice based on who we belong to or when. Jesus said this in Luke twenty-three thirty-one. This is just before... His rejection, this is related to him being rejected and crucified. He said, If they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dead or brown? And the thinking is, the world has seen me face to face. They've heard my words of life, they've seen my attesting miracles, and they have rejected me. If they'll do this in my physical presence, look out when I'm gone, because it's going to get worse, not better. The Prince of life in his person has been rejected. The future is worse. It's less safe. It's not more safe. When you're talking about abortion or suicide assisted or otherwise, it's easy to get lost in the issue itself. And what we really want to do is make sure we're tying it together in the bigger picture. And and this is the bigger picture. It's the gospel. It's our relationship, our standing before God our lack of standing, or our standing before God. At the end of the day, the abortion debates, the suicide and euthanasia, and by the way, especially on the suicide-assisted suicide, these debates will continue state by state. Uh, Organs, I can't remember how many have it legal now, but this will continue. We are a death-loving culture. That's going to continue. At the end of the day, these debates are not so much about only or specifically abortion or suicide they have to do with our view of god who we've come from and where we go and is there anyone to whom i answer and must give or should give allegiance to is there a god which claimant is god and on what basis do we make that determination and of course this is why i say this stuff always ends up tying into the message of the gospel i mean this this death is one more version of sin Paul says in Romans, sin brings death. You cannot escape this. When we sin, death is the fruit. At the end of the day, the slaughter of the innocents is the proclamation and reception of the gospel. That is, that's where when we talk about abortion or suicide, that's where we as Christians have to go. That's the hope that we have. In the fields of death, there still is a prince of life. And the the major way that Christians can be and should be supporting life and opposing death in whatever visage it takes is by proclaiming the hope of the gospel because that's life written large. That addresses all these other things. There are numerous practical ways we can and should be supporting life, and we'll talk about some of those as we wind down. But at the end of the day, we could give all our finances, we could provide every pantry, we could institute all kinds of new uh, pregnancy centers. That won't end death. But if a heart is changed through forgiveness and restoration to the prince of life, that changes everything. If the prince of life is your prince, you love life. In whatever form it exists. No one has to convince you. It's because that's where your heart has gone. When we renounce the spirit of death and murder in the father of lies, then all life becomes valuable. We're following the prince or the Lord of life. When I understand that all humanity bears the image of God and that through the gospel, through Christ's person and work, we're being restored, then I have God's view of life that each person is his image-bearer. I mean, and think of it like this. In the creation account, God stamps his image on all of humanity. But then also in Jesus' atoning sacrifice, God says again, I value you, I value one and all. That's reiterated, not just do we bear his image, but Christ died for our sins, one and all. There's going to be a time When Jesus, King Jesus, is ruling over the new heavens and the new earth. And there's no death and there's no sorrow. And all the tears are wiped away from the former things. They're all done. And everything and everyone is all that it should be. But until then, we should be doing, as those who belong and believe in the prince of life, we should be all that we can be doing to advance Christ's cause in the cause of life. There's practical ways, but ultimately we're really talking about the proclamation of the gospel itself. Abortion says the unborn isn't human, or if they are human, and some abortionists are willing to concede this, yes, it's a baby, yes, it's a person. Even if we acknowledge that they're not deserving of life, the gospel says God loved the world and sent his son for the world. And friends, the world is Is humanity. It's everyone in it. It doesn't exclude anyone. Abortion says, I don't owe the unborn anything. The gospel compels me to love my neighbors and all of my neighbors born and unborn. Suicide says, I am my own God. The gospel declares there is one God, the father, all things exist for him and one Lord Jesus Christ and all things exist for him. On application, The, the most important thing you and I could ever do, and I trust most of us in this room already have, if you haven't, the, the first thing that any of us can do towards the cause of life is to personally repent of our own independence from God and confess Christ as Savior. It's to come under the righteous, life-giving rule of the Prince of Life. If, if you haven't done that, You may do all kinds of things that you consider good works in this life and you'll be separated from the prince of life forever. The first thing, any of us, if we want to love life, the first thing we need to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry for my independence from you, the Lord of all life. And I see in Jesus a savior and I believe in him. I entrust myself to him. That's the first thing. Paul talks about obedience of faith in Romans 1 verse 5. Paul well, says in Acts seventeen thirty, I think that God commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe. That's the beginning of life for all of us: to repent of our own sin and independence, and accept the free forgiveness we have through Christ. Second, <clears throat> repent of our own murderous, hateful thoughts, attitudes, words, and actions. You might say, Mike, I've never had an abortion. I'm glad. You might say, I've never killed anyone. I'm glad. How does this apply to me? You know, Kent's been taking us through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, Jesus says, murder, death begins not in my hands. It begins in my heart. So guys, for us, we're living under the rule of the prince of life. That's great. But you and I, certainly from time to time, do we not entertain murder, death, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, if not in our actions. We need to repent of those. If we're going to be effective in telling others there's a hope, there's purpose in life, there's joy, there's peace. I can't do that while I'm entertaining bitterness or unforgiveness or hatred or murder towards. You wouldn't believe this, but sometimes we have hold those things towards brothers and sisters in Christ. It's probably never happened to anyone else in this room. Or towards other people who aren't Christians. Listen, this applies to pro-abortionists too. You can't hold hatred in your heart. We live in a time in which the grace of God is being poured out and the sun is rising on the wicked and the just. We can't hold hatred in our heart as Christians. Repent of past participation in abortions. And when I say this, I don't just mean if you're a woman who's had an abortion and you've never made that right with the Lord. I mean, if you have not spoken to others that you know are getting abortions, if you have participated, if you're a man that's impregnated a woman you weren't married to or were married to and said you need to get an abortion or paid for an abortion, if we have been part of providing death to anyone, we need to repent of that, confess that as sin, and receive forgiveness for that sin specifically. Guys, some of us need to repent of passivity, that we're not doing anything about the cause of life. Christ's cause in the fields of death to promote life, that we're simply absent, we're AWOL. There's a great verse in Proverbs 24. If you say, we didn't know about this, God says, no, I I know what you knew. You just checked out. There's all kinds of ways for us to participate in the encouragement of, of life. There's hands-on ways, uh, caring pregnancy option here in, in Topeka. Some of us here right now volunteer. there. several here over the past have volunteered there just where gals can come. They can get sonograms. They can see how their baby's developing when they have children. There are things that can be passed out. They can be helped, uh, young lives. I know at Highland park, this church has been doing some collection for that, just to stuff a pantry for young moms with kids that have been encouraged don't, don't kill your child. Have your child. We'll help you. Those are things we can be supporting and should be supporting. Lion and Lamb Church for years has supported CPO here in Topeka, and we supported CareNet nationally because the pro-life movement has been strategically important to us from our inception, and so we invest financially every month, local and nationally. So... Besides also on these groups specifically, on CareNet on CPO, when these groups address young mothers who are pregnant, considering their options, or afterwards, they're also sharing the gospel with them. It's not just the physical help, which is important and key. We don't want to say be warm and be filled and, and God bless you somewhere else. They're doing that. They're providing the physical encouragement, but they're also sharing the hope of the gospel as well. The big thing for me in this is a commitment to share the gospel with others, the message about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, because this is where everything comes down. Again, if you change a person's heart, everything's different. Perspective is different. My outlook on life is different. How I see you, how I think about you, it's all changed because the heart has been changed. Do we have a commitment to simply be willing to talk to others about Christ? We talked about fear a week or two ago in this respect. Guys, we can just say, Lord, would you give me opportunity to talk to others about Christ? Would you show me those opportunities you're providing and allow me the courage in the moment to walk through? Are we committed to sharing the gospel? Because ultimately, the solution to death is life. The solution to death is life. I love the fact that... uh, Norma McCorvey, going back to Jane Roe, you know, her baby was born. Others weren't, but her baby was born, which is ironic, but I love that fact. Her baby was born. But also this. Norma McCorvey became a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, and then she became an outspoken critic of abortion because... Flip Benham, a Christian leader in the pro-life movement, showed her the love of Christ and shared the gospel with her repeatedly. And her sins were forgiven and she became a believer. Is Is that for you? I love this. So the name and the face that was the epitome of death becomes a trophy to God's grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ through redemption. I love this. We can always share with hope. And guys, this is for me the thing. Is abortion depressing? It depresses me to think about it. It discourages me to talk about it. The hope isn't in abortion or death. The hope is that there is a prince of life. And that prince who was rejected by our race and killed didn't stay dead. He rose gloriously from the dead. And that prince of life is giving life today. And we get to participate in that when we're simply faithful to share the gospel of the grace of God, the person and the work of Christ with others. And we'll never know, right? Who would have thought Jane Roe would become a Christian? And a pro-life advocate, you don't know who God will save. We don't know. We have to be willing to share the hope of the gospel. That's where all this ends. And, guys, this is it. Um, If it's dependent on us, if life is dependent on us, we're in trouble, right? Can't get there. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, this is not on your study sheet, The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not worldly. They're not dependent on your strength and your ability and your rhetoric and mine. Paul says the weapons of our warfare, they're powerful. They're mighty in God. And you know the chief weapon we have? It's the gospel. It's the message about who is Jesus and what has he done on our behalf? So the Lord of life, he gives life, he's still giving life. In the fields of death that you and I live in today, the hope of life is still the gospel of Jesus Christ. The prince of life is our hope. Father, in the midst of what can otherwise just be discouraging and depressing, would you help us to lift our eyes and see the fields are white and ready for harvest? God, would you give us spines and strength and encouragement and enthusiasm both in the life we've received in Jesus and in the hope we have to participate in the Prince of life, speaking life, giving resurrection power and new life, Lord, to those who live right now in the fields of death. God, as Jesus is at work, would you help us to be at work to share the gospel of Jesus, the hope of life in the Prince of life. Amen.